while the handouts are still being handed out, um, this morning we begin with um, the more practical aspects of counseling. We've dealt with the theory of psychology and psychiatry, and um, we, we've moved beyond that. If you want to go back and listen to that, you're welcome to find it online on our website. Uh, today we start moving into what no theory counseling is. I've got two parts to this lesson. It is um, first dealing with what it is in theory and then making a biblical case for that. And that will be not next week since it's breaking up bread, but the following week. So I'm going to start with last week's question that we didn't get to. And then we'll get into the three C's of counseling. So this morning I'll cover that. We'll, uh, I'll give you the three C's and then we'll explain the three C's. Uh, but I want to begin with this question. Can a Christian have emotional problems? Now, I initially had mental problems, but I needed to, to research that a little bit more, and I'll get to that next time, because that, that is a huge debate. Can uh, people generally have mental problems? Now, I have an answer, but I, I didn't add it to this, this question since this was last week's question. So can a Christian, while you're thinking about that, can a Christian... Um, have emotional problems. And I should probably make that wider. Can people suffer from emotional problems? Now, you're welcome to think about that before saying yes. <laughs> um, I want to welcome my wife back. It's good to have her with me. I feel more relaxed today. Um, the last two weeks was, uh, uh, was a bit tough. So um, it's good to see you. And uh, there was something else I wanted to say. I forgot now. Hopefully it comes back to me. All right, so uh, there was somebody who very gladly said yes, yeah. Can we, can, who was it? Victor? Or was it Victor? Further back. Further back. Can, can Christians um, suffer from emotional problems? What do you think? It doesn't matter if you're wrong, it's, it's okay. We... We won't excommunicate you. you oh, was it you? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you want to elaborate on that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, um, so yes, uh, do not be anxious uh, about anything, but with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Philippians 4, is it 4? Uh, 4.9, I think, 9 to 11, if um, I forget the passage. 4 verse 6, yeah, 4 verse 6, um, the upside down 9, so um, I was right, so... <laughs> Uh, anyone else? So we have one yes and explaining that we can have anger. And so by deduction, Christians can have, uh, I'm not saying that, but it seems that, um, I won't mention his name, deduces emotional problems from that. Anyone else? It's a difficult question. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. 
Okay? So th there's two things. Okay, you go first. <clears throat> There you go, yeah. Most people, they'll say, they'll hear the word emotional property. Yeah. And they'll think, okay, there's something disordered in mm. that person's emotions such that they are not responsible for their outbursts of mm. anger or their depression or anxiety. Mm. Whereas as Christians, we wouldn't see it that way. Mm. We would say you can have a, a problematic emotional response mm. and be in a, emoting in a sinful way. Yeah. That's an emotional problem. Yeah. Well said, yeah. So there's two things. What you're hearing is emotion, but the second part is problem. So um, in the medical field or medical world, the psycho psychological world, it is described as emotional problems. People do not suffer from em emotional problems. People have emotion, and like Ben just said, that um, you can be emotionally upset. Now what you, you both of you described were emotions. But it's not a problem to have emotions. You can emote your, pro your, your emotions in a problematic way, like Ben said. You can de demonstrate it in a problematic way, which is sinful, and that is a problem. But you don't have a problem with your emotions. There's nothing medically causing that. That is what is behind the idea of emotional problems. So I'm not asking if, you, if believers have emotions or struggle with emotions. Sure, we do. Um, you can have emotional turmoil. I presume all of us have emotional turmoil. Uh, you can be emotionally upset, <clears throat> maybe because of circumstances, because you are unhappy about something that is beyond your control, or you don't fully understand it, or it's, it's not what you desire. That causes something that is um, upsetting to you. But there's nothing wrong with you in the medical sense. There is nothing wrong with you mentally. Now, there are those who have uh, brain problems. I want to separate between mental and the physical aspect, which can be medical, a uh, brain problem. Um, in the medical field, it has just been encapsulated as one thing, um, as a mental problem. Um, the problem is not the fact that you have emotions or you are demonstrating the emotions. It's the problem is that you do not know what to do with that emotion. If somebody steps on your toes, you know what that euphemism means, right? Um, if somebody steps on your toes, something else comes up. Anger. You know, the Batman um, mentality. You want justice and you will do anything for that justice. Uh, what people are communicating when they say that I have an emotional problem is that they don't like what their emotions are saying to them. And that's different. You don't know what you're feeling uh, or how to respond to what you are feeling. So God has designed us to feel bad when we are doing bad. It's called conviction and having a conscience. You should have emotions. It's normal to life. There must be guilt. There must be conviction. Um, but why do we feel this way? Why do you think when we are wronged or when we are uncomfortable with something that emotions start to well up? Why do you think that happens? You want to say something? 
something? I'm looking at you. Me? Yes. <laughs> Sorry? He was thinking of <laughs> Well, now that you've opened your mouth, what do you think, Wayne? <laughs> Five minutes, okay. Uh, I think because our hearts do not like to be confronted. And so, it doesn't matter the situation, the minute people speak to you about something that you know is evidently wrong or something that affects you, um, you immediately react to that. That is a, an emotional reaction. Now, emotion can be problematic, but you don't have an emotional problem. Are there kids who have anger issues? Yeah, well, what is that? That's a heart issue. They, they are sinful, and so they lash out. And we do that as well. We may blame kids, um, but um, we do that as well. Our conscience uh, triggers uncomfortable uh, and even painful emotions to alert us that something is not right. And so we respond in that way. The problem is that we react without thinking. That is the problem, not the emotion, the acting without thinking. Um, we speak without slowing down. When we sedate our conscience, um, when we silence it by lashing out, we can see our conscience and the emotion can then control us. Um, still, it is sinful, but it's not an emotional problem. It is a heart problem. So emotions is an external response or um, display of what is happening in the heart. Uh, so in effect, you don't really have a problem other than your heart is a problem and it's manifesting itself on the outward. Um, God has given us these unpleasant emotions so that we would learn um, what to do and what not to do. So don't ignore them. When they are happening, it tells you something about your heart. Um, so don't default it or def um, de deflect it to it's your fault. The emotions that you're expressing is not someone else's fault. It's your heart that is manifesting itself outward. Any questions or comments on that? I just wanted to finish that last week's question. No? Okay, good. Defining Nothetic Counseling on page one. <clears throat> J. Adam says, The word comes from the Greek New Testament. It has within it three elements, concern, confrontation, and change. Nothetic counseling is counseling that involves face-to-face -face confrontation by one person to another out of a loving concern for him in order to bring about the changes God desires in, I would say, their life, but his life, as he says it, that in a nutshell is what nothetic counseling is all about. So, what is the three C's of counseling? Yeah, it's in there. Confrontation, concern, and change. That's the three C's. Now, for the next uh, few minutes, we are going to expand a little bit more on these three C's. So, defining and explaining the C's. What, is, what do you think of when you hear the word confrontation? What do you naturally think of? I can't hear. Sorry? 
uh, it's a little bit more than conversation. <laughs> what, what, do you, what is the natural um, thinking behind the word confrontation? Hmm? Oh, no. Sorry, what now? Uh, no. Conflict. Confrontation, it's normally a negative thing in our minds, right? Um, when you think of conflict, it's, uh, sorry, uh, confrontation, it is going to tell the person where he's wrong. Um, confronting them, we use it as a verb in the negative sense. I'm going to confront him on this issue. He didn't take out the, the dirt. I'm going, to, I'm going to confront her on this issue. She burned my favorite steak. You know, so it's always used in a negative sense. And unfortunately, that is, that is how we think about it, even in the Christian sense. Uh, the, the synonyms are quarrel, hostility, or battle. That's not necessarily what is behind the biblical counseling view of confrontation. So number one, uh, I, confrontation is, instead of saying using, can you scratch it out and rather write the word allowing? Um, I, th I think it's, uh, I looked at that this morning and said, yeah, I think allowing is better. So right, um, confrontation is allowing the Bible, not human ideas, to challenge, convict, and confront believers, comma, about what God says concerning their problems, sin, circumstances, and lives. <clears throat> Make sense? So it is the scripture that causes conviction or confrontation in the life of the person that you are speaking to, not you. So it is not I am going to confront him. It is scripture that confronts that person. And we, we have to make that separation. In the world, confrontation is me coming to you to combat, fight, or uh, uh, battle you. Whereas in, in Nothetic Counseling, confrontation is saying, listen, Scripture tells you on this issue where you are going wrong. You are not doing anything. Merely Scripture, or I should say God, is confronting that person through uh, a Scripture. And it is important that we do not use Scripture as a weapon. That can happen in counseling quite a lot. Well, do you know? You, you know, you get that kind of attitude. Um, and in, in, in married life, it can be very hard. Well, since the Bible says you must submit... Woman, what do you think you should be doing in the situation? <clears throat> that is using the Bible as a weapon. That is not gracious counseling. That is using the Bible in, in, as a tool to whip somebody. Bible thumpers is what they were called back in the day. I don't know if we still call that. Scripture alone must provide clear conviction, not you as a counselor. You are not the one to force people to change. That's unfortunate because in, the, in Christianity, especially in the pulpit, people with a high level of um, self-exaltation, I sounded like Biden there for a moment, <laughs> people who think highly of themselves, if they are in the pulpit, they can pummel people to obedience. 
You must do this. And they make people feel guilty about what they are not doing. That's shaming people for what they are not doing. I don't believe that that is what the pastor should be doing or a council should be doing. All you should be doing is guiding them to Scripture and saying, listen, brother, you are sinning in this area. Let me show you where you are going wrong. You shall not steal. That is pretty simple. And and you want them to see it from Scripture and not just you telling that person that he's going wrong. Number two, confrontation is corrective. Not combative, it is corrective. It aims to help people avoid unbiblical thoughts and actions and points them in direction uh, in the direction of biblical acceptable behavior. I didn't have a better word for um, doing things, and I don't like using the word behavior because of behaviorism, but you know what I'm saying, right? Um, doing what God requires. So um, you are... Showing them if there's a brother who is living in a life of sin or a sister, and you know and uh, notice that, it is your responsibility as a counselor to help them see their sinful ways. Um, so you are going to uh, point out the corrective behavior, what God requires of them. So in biblical uh, confrontation, the counselor, A, <coughs> sorry, amplifies the Bible as a mirror to show the counselee their sin that, uh, that they may not be aware of. This is in contrast to secular counseling where the counselor uh, is a mirror and you are just reflecting the emotion and the thoughts and the desires of the counselee. No, scripture is supposed to be the mirror. If you go to James chapter 1, verse 22, <clears throat> um, it's 22 through to 25, but I'm starting 22. Notice what James says Be doers of the word, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So if you're only a hearer, you are in the realm of deception. If you're never acting upon the truth of God's word, There is a problem. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What James is saying is that if you look into the law, what happens? You're going to see a reflection of who you are. The law is supposed to show you who you really are. It shows your shortcoming, it shows your faults, it shows your sin. That's what the Bible is supposed to do. Um, I'm not uh, the scripture. I cannot look into your heart and and show you exactly who you are. Scripture alone can do that. Um, If a person does that, if he looks at the law and there's nothing, he he doesn't see his, his own sin, he doesn't desire to change, then there is a problem. 
We cannot personally and perfectly do what God wants in and of ourselves. We cannot lean on our own wisdom or our ability to please God. Some people are self-righteous and um, they think that they are the mirror of righteousness. They are the standard. And so they exalt themselves to a level where they become the rule. They become the standard. Oh, you need to do it this way because this is how I do it. That is wrong. That's, as a counselor, imposing a standard on another person. That is law. And the law kills. That also results in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Legalism. That there is only this way and no other way. My way. Legalism. That's exalting a standard above the word of God. B. A counselor counsels from Scripture showing how saints can respond in a way that will honor God. Psalm 119. I love this psalm. It deals with every sphere of life. And for those of us who struggle with purity, those of us who struggle with faithfulness, Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can you... Sorry, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word of God. The way of purity is submission to the scriptures. So allowing scripture to communicate the way or the direction of your life and not your desires. The two are in conflict Your personal desire and God's word are going to fight. Your sinful desire, I should say. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So wandering from your commandments is akin to not seeking God. When you seek God, you are also wandering or, sorry, um, seeking uh, his commandments. 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I sin against you when I don't store up your word in my heart. So this is what he means when he says that we guard our hearts according to the word. That it becomes the principle in our life. It becomes the standard and the rule and the the authority in and for our lives. It guards us against sin. Also John 15, 4, you should know this. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Listen, you can't say, I love the Lord, and then live in perpetual disobedience to Him. There's a problem with that. You're loving your sin and yourself more than you're loving God. A counselor shows Scripture as being the source and the means through which a believer can be helped. Um, Again, he doesn't exalt himself. He doesn't use himself as a standard. You impress upon others the high standard of God's word for both holiness and obedience. Again, if a counselor exalts himself as being the standard, he's placed himself in the place of God and Scripture. We have to be careful for that. 
C. A counselor confirms the revealed will of God, highlighting the expectation of the new life in Christ and denounces sinful, con, uh, sinful comma, conflicting desires. And you can look those passages up. God is clear that we should live in a certain way. He reveals his, what he desires and believers should never lose sight of that. I should say counselors should never lose sight that God is absolutely clear what he desires of believers. So don't create a list of standards that is not found in Scripture. And often that happens, especially in hyper-conservative churches, where it is, you have to wear a tie. You have to wear a certain attire. Sorry, Don. <laughs> you, you have to do this. And I understand that there are implications um, for us that is not exactly um, delineated in Scripture. For instance, when it comes to um, uh, not destroying your body, certain things that can destroy your body, like smoking dacha, for instance. I'm sorry, that is not medicine. That is another type of medicine that makes you feel other ways. But um, do you know that you can buy dacha pizza now? Just saying. That's not medicine. If you can buy it on food, yeah. Um, I don't know how I got there. Sorry, forgive me. The, the point is that there are certain things which is implicit, explicit, and deduced in Scripture. And obviously, the deduced elements is a little bit more difficult because that's where we can sometimes wander into uh, legalism and we really have to be careful on this issue. <clears throat> so, first of all, it is confrontation but not combative. It is not you confronting the person but Scripture confronting the person. A counselor knows where the line is. He's not walking up to that person in a, a fuming fury. I am going to tell him. Then you've crossed the line. You've gone from counseling to com combating, to fighting. Um, and that line can be crossed very quickly. Any questions on that issue? No. Okay, let's move on. Concern number two. No, theory counseling is the result of personal, comma, loving concern or care for other believers. It's the result of concern. <clears throat> the only reason you are counseling a person is not primarily because they came to you, and that happens quite often, is that you don't know of a problem, and so they come to you and they ask you for help, but you are seeing a problem and you have a concern over that believer or for that believer wherever they are in their life, <clears throat> and you're concerned about a specific issue, and so you go to them. Brother, I see, <clears throat> sorry, I see you that you are uh, uh, struggling in this area. How can I help? How can I pray for you? That is genuine concern. This is not fishing for information. What's happening, brother? You know, that is fishing. <clears throat> you don't care because of your brother or your friend's care. It's not a second-hand care. You're not suddenly caring because your family cares about a certain person. That is caring by proxy. No, you are personally invested in that person. You are personally involved in that person's life. And so that is why you want to counsel and help. Secondly, 
concern over rational, relational disharmony, not rational. There's no such thing. The relational disharmony. Matthew 5. And often what, I think this element gets swept under the carpet quite quickly. Um, Jesus is going to elevate the standard. Um, He's going to show the intensification of the law by means of the law of Christ. Notice what he says. You have heard that it was said to you in verse 21, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. That is out of the law. It's a command. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you. Now he's not um, uh, uh, denouncing the law. Jesus showing the intent, the, the, the depth or the intensification of the law. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. It's not just the activity of murdering a person. It is the heart that is behind that murder. Before you get to the murder, it's the seed that is already present in the heart that is the problem. And that is what Jesus is pointing out. It's not so much just the activity, but what causes the activity. We forget that, that Jesus highlights the difficulty of keeping the law. When we think of the law, it's just the Ten Commandments and the doing Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's much more than that. It's this idea of constantly being angry, a perpetual anger against your brother that results in murder, but this perpetual anger on a daily basis that cannot be stopped. If you're angry like that, you've already broken the law. It's done. Then he says, you... um, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell, to the hell of fire. Wow. Again, it's not just the action, but what is already present in the heart. Because what is on the tongue is already in the heart. That's what Jesus is showing. The reason you're acting the way you do, the reason you end up murdering is because you've got a problem in your heart. Murderers are not murderers because their mom locked them up in a cupboard. Happened to me once. (laughs) My brother locked me up once. and I'm not a murderer. So if you are offering, still in the same context, your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift. Leave your gift. Don't go and worship. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going, uh, while you are going with him to court. <laughs> Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the, and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. In other words, try to settle the matter before it gets to court because if you go to court and you end up in, in jail, you will never be able to resolve this matter. So get it done before it gets too far. <clears throat> what is Jesus saying? Before you get to worship, 
resolve relational problems. Now, some of us are friends, and you know that there are relational problems. A counselor who knows about that problem will say, brother, you need to go. And take note, it says that if you remember that somebody has something against you, who should go? You go. Someone has something against you. Not you have someone has something against someone. Someone has either laid a charge or has a problem with you. If you are aware of it and you know it is there, what should you do before you come to worship? Sort it out. A counselor who knows of that situation will encourage that brother who knows that he needs to do the right thing. Brother, listen, Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. The altar is coming. Go and sort it out before you go to worship. So easily do we sweep it under carpet and just say, ah, just leave him in. He's just very sensitive. That's more common today than, than not. Men being sensitive. Anyway, moving on. Number three. Concern over unrepented sinful behavior. Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And um, again, remember the confrontation. It is not you going to confront him on his error, but to show him based on scripture where he has sinned. So go and show him where he has done uh, wrong. Um, now, I understand that this is meant for every believer, which means every believer should be a counselor. And I'll get to that in a few weeks' time. They must pursue the brother who has sinned against them. Again, notice it says, if a brother sinned against you, you go. In both situations where you've been sinned against or where you remember that somebody has something against you, whatever it is, go and sort it out. You go, because if that brother who knows that he sinned against you, hasn't taken the responsibility to go and sort it out, what should you do? Go and sort it out. Take the responsibility upon yourself. Counselors who know of that situation were encouraged that I think to do. They will not couch the sin in both cases. Number four, concern over the reception of truth that is how they receive and respond to it, and faithfulness in, spiritual, uh, in their spiritual walk. Um, again, when a church is a family, you get to know people's lives. And you get to know when a person does not respond to certain elements that is clear in Scripture. For instance, how we use our finances. That is absolutely clear in Scripture. But we are scared to get involved in situations like that. Why? Because it feels like we are meddling. Now, if you know that a guy is spending thousands of rands on candy, sweets, but he cannot pay his cell phone bill, he's got a problem. You need to help him. Brother, that is not a priority. If you know that a guy is pursuing riches, uh, above everything else in his life, and so he's killing his spiritual life in the pursuit of being financially stable. You need to point it out. Is this really worth it? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Is the riches really? If you have enough to live on a daily basis, 
what does the prayer of Jesus say about that? Our Father, who is, he, who is in heaven, what does it say about bread? Give us today our... You know what that is? They are bread makers. They were an agrarian culture. They knew how to grow wheat. They, they knew when the seasons changed and when to take the wheat off the, um, uh, um, fr from, uh, during harvest. They knew what to do. This is what they had. This is, it was part of their life. Why does Jesus say pray for bread? The very resources that you are given is a gift from God. So never take it for granted. So the things that they grow, which they naturally are able to do in, in and of them by themselves, he says, no, this is not yours. It's God's. It's God's gift to you. So you pray for that. Give to us our daily resources so that we may survive. Give to us today the bread that we need. Give to, to me this month, Lord, the finances that we need to, to make it through the month. That is depending upon God, but when you don't, and you're so comfortable in, uh, I'm, I'm, my bank account is, it's safe, uh, really. God can crash the economy in a moment's time. Then what? Depend upon Him. Finances can suddenly disappear out of your account for absolutely no reason. That happens, right? Depend upon God. A counselor will encourage believers not to depend upon themselves, but depend, uh, to depend upon the Lord. When a believer does not receive the truth, but rebels against counsel and walks unfaithfully before the Lord, the counselor has a heart for that person and goes after them. They pray for them. They seek them out. <laughs> I remember when, um, the, when we were, when I was still growing up, I lived with a brother who's now in this church. Um, and he's not here this morning, but we, we used to have tremendous amount of theological discussions. And this one day we decided to do a, a study on, uh, I think it was Knowing God, uh, J.I. Packer. It was J.I. Packer. And uh, I was supposed to do the study and not only did I forget, but I didn't know the content of the, of, the, of the chapter. And he said to me, if you don't know the word of God, then you're not a believer. <laughs> um, that was Shantan, by the way. <laughs> and probably not the best person to counsel, but that stuck with me. I mean, uh, that, it was actually true. You know, if, you, if you're not invested in the word of God... If you're, not, if you're not studying the Word of God, if you're not really feeding on the Word of God, you're living on scraps. As a Christian, you are living on scraps. You are barely making it by. I don't know how believers make it through the week without reading the Word of God or depending upon God in prayer. And uh, he helped me see that. For those of you who are single men, there is benefit in living with another young man um, a godly young man, you will sharpen each other. Uh, if you are living by yourself already and you need a, a partner, find a Christian man in our church that you can move in with, and the, the rent will be cheaper. You know, ask him to buy a bu double bunk, and then you can sleep in his room. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, trust me, it, it, it will refine you. So, 
A counselor confronts by means of the word, has a loving concern for God's people, and desires godly change in God's people. So number three, change. Now, every counseling situation, that is strange, why is that guy driving in and out? Every counseling situation desires change, whether it's notary counseling, Christian counseling, or secular counseling. Everybody wants change. It just depends on what the motivation is and what kind of change. Uh, In secular counseling, the change is towards oneself. In Christian counseling, it is to make the person better. And in biblical counseling, it is to be what God desires you to be, to be the kind of man and woman God desires you to be. A biblical counselor pursues that kind of change. Not social conformity, not conformity to a community, not conformity to a pastoral standard, not conformity to the counselee's standard, but conformity to the word of God. You call... The reason why change is required is because there's been a move away from it, from the standard. We all need to come into alignment with the Word of God. All of us. There are certain elements that we still need to kill off, to to put to death. Um, That is still progressive sanctification, still change that needs to take place in our lives. So this process of sanctification is God's grace to make us more like Jesus. That's the goal. It is not just behavioral change, but a heart change, an attitude change, a change that makes you more mimic Jesus Christ. Number two. Did I give you number one? No. The goal of biblical counseling is biblical change. That's obvious. Number two. Transformation can only take place when a believer is willing to submit to the authority of God's word. Only then, only when you are willing to say, yes, Lord, I can't anymore, then you will change. When we push up against that, when we constantly trying to justify our actions, when we constantly trying to make excuses, you are not changing. I said this last week, we cannot, as counselors, accept the excuse, I can't. Are you saying that you, as a believer, are beyond the grace of God to change? Do you not think that the Spirit of God is able to change your heart, mind, and convictions? Um, Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. (coughs) I forgot to put that passage in. Verse 18. Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, meaning that the, this is written in the context of whenever they read the law, um, as Jews, the face is veiled and they cannot understand the law because their eyes are closed. They cannot fully understand what God requires and how to, to um, uh, meet his righteous demand. Uh, and so he says, as unbelievers, our faces are veiled, but as believers, with unveiled face, meaning that our eyes are open, we can see, beholding <coughs> the glory of the Lord, 
we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, this transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, they cannot and will not be changed if there's no beholding of the glory of the Lord. If you do not look at Christ, if you do not behold His glory in the pages of Scripture, you are not changing. Again, I don't know how believers make it through the week without looking into Scripture. It's hard for me to fathom transformation if this, God's Word, is not the foundation of your life. (coughs) Sorry. Number three, nothetic counseling may not solve the problems which believers may face, but aims to show them the principles found in Scripture as it relates to a renewed mind, a changed perspective, and a Christ-honoring pursuit, which will help them endure life's trials through the lens of God's goodness. That is the goal. Problems will not change. Your life... is not going to be better just because you become a believer. And if you are a believer, it's your, your situation, circumstances doesn't always change. You're, you may remain in your job. Your, your life circumstances may, may be the same for uh, a number of months, weeks, or years. But God can change your attitude, your mind, your perspective of <clears throat> the situation or of how you should respond in that situation. Only then, sorry, I should say, only when we see God's goodness in our uh, affliction, only when we see God's sovereignty sovereignty over all things, then we can be thankful in all things. Only then we can have an attitude of joy despite the situation. There are three areas of change that is obvious in Scripture. A. Change in priority, that is importance or precedence, what is the most significant thing in the believer's life. Proverbs 2.20 says, Walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of righteousness. Colossians 2, I'm going to read the last part. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, you must seek, I think the English translations are a little bit too weak. It, it almost translates it as a subjunctive, but it's a command. You must seek this above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you must set your minds on this above, not on this, on the earth. That's the sense of the translation. I know it's, it's not exactly uh, plain and simple English, but that is the sense that Paul is saying. Seek this above and not this on the earth. This on the earth is futile, it is failing, and it is frail. <clears throat> but this above, where Christ is, seek the glory above, not the glory below. There must be change. We should expect change in priority. Because as we grow in sanctification, we want to help believers see what is important to God. Not to me, not to this church, what is important to God. World, this world and the philosophy of this world will curb, will not curb your passions. They will encourage it. The antidote to worldly fleshly lust is setting your mind and your heart 
on Christ. He becomes your goal. A counselor must understand the priority of Christ in order to show the counselee Christ's priority in his life or in their lives. B, change in speech and attitude. And these go together. We don't have the time to go through it. Um, but in James 1, 18 and 19, uh, James says, after verse 18, which speaks about our salvation, in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God is pleased with. Just because you are angry doesn't mean you're going to please God. Your anger does not produce what God is pleased with. So, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A counselor must have those qualities and must encourage those qualities in the counselee. <clears throat> Number C, there must be a change in perspective. Change in perspective. They will help or should help the counselor see that um, trials is not a problem. Affliction is not a problem. We should count it all joy. We are blessed if we endure, and every good and perfect gift comes from above. <clears throat> Often people do not fully grasp that God is in absolute control of all things. Environmentalism, or I should say the cult of environmentalism, has influenced the church to a large degree. We are now talking about saving the world and not sharing the gospel. Global warming is nothing to worry about as believers. <clears throat> Life is hard. You know the cliche? But God is good. It is hard. A counselor does not minimize a counselor does not minimize the reality of the hardships in life, but he always points to God as a good and faithful savior. Now, obviously, as a counselor, you will not point out all these things at once, depending on who the counselor Lee is. You will um, help them through the struggles they are face, uh, facing systematically. Uh, any questions? Our time is gone, but any questions or any comments that you want to make? <clears throat> Okay, so the first part I got, uh, we cannot use the excuse that we can't. What was the second part? So then, so following up on that, yeah. you then, as a counselor, using that basically phrase. Yeah. Okay, how, how am I going to do that? Depending on the situation, what it is. Um, so, uh, depending on the situation, you would point them to, there are obvious passages, like for instance, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, and the context there is, uh, hardship and affliction, riches and poverty, um, whatever life situation, you can endure those trials because of the strength that God provides in Christ. So there is no such thing as a can't. So it doesn't matter what it is. Um, God provides the strength, but if you're not depending on, upon Him, if you're not walking in Him, guess what? You, you feel like you can't because you're leaning on your own understanding, you're doing what you think is the right thing, and you're not deferring to Christ or leaning upon him. So, yes, there is no such thing in the Christian life as I can't, I can't handle the situation really. 
You can't. Well, read with me in Philippians chapter 4, chapter 4 um, where, uh, and you go through the section. Look at what Paul says. I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is not to have. I know what it is to be in affliction, and I know what it is not to be. I know what it is to, to, to go through all these things. But here's what I know. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So, yes, we can through Christ who provides the strength. Maybe the problem is that you, not that you can't, but that you're leaning on the wrong thing. Understand? Does it help? Okay. Yeah, we are two minutes over. I'm not following, sorry. <coughs> yeah. In terms of the verses, um, like the second from here. Yeah. And respect for a person who needs uh, is not counseling, like in a professional setting or in a. No, this is not professional. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, in a brotherly manner or in a professional manner, how would you, like, looking at the verses, it's more like. I, I'm still not following. Are you saying that this is more in a professional setting than on a one-to-one? Or? This is more on a one-to-one. Yes, it is. Because uh, when I say counselors, I'm actually talking to the entire church, not to those who are um, pursuing counseling as a profession or something like that. Um, because of where I'm going, I think that counseling has to be... Remember when I began, I said that counseling is a subcategory of what? discipleship. So this should be part and parcel of what we do as a regular practice um, as believers. It's, it's not, it's not uh, selected through. I do have to end. Sorry, I've got three, four minutes over time. We are not going to take a break. If you need to run to the toilet, uh, please do so, but um, the music team can come up and start the next um, phase in our service. <laughs>